We have been looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke now for some months, and we have been the last several weeks in the sixth chapter of Luke. We'll wind up Luke chapter 6 next week. But uh, just to bring you up to speed, remember uh, what we've seen uh, here in the last few weeks in uh, verses 12 through 16 of, of uh, Luke 6. Jesus goes up on the mountain and uh, he has with him a, a group, I don't know how large, but a, a group of uh, disciples uh, or followers. And they go up there and he chose the 12, having spent the night in prayer, he chose the 12 apostles, 12 of uh, those followers of his to be particularly close followers to whom he would entrust his church on earth. It says in verse 17 that he came down from the mountain and there were more disciples, more of his followers gathered there along with even a greater number of just folks, Jews, Gentiles, who were not identified with Jesus and yet were coming uh, with needs that they, uh, I guess, hoped that he would uh, uh, fulfill. They had uh, uh, both physical and uh, emotional and spiritual uh, uh, needs, and uh, he came among them and healed them. And I imagine some were there just out of curiosity. Some had heard about this man that taught strange things and worked miracles, and uh, so they were there kind of hangers-on to see what was going on. In verse 20, uh, Jesus, uh, it is said, uh, uh, lifted up his eyes on his disciples, that is, on the Jesus followers there, and said, uh, and in so doing, he sort of excluded the others that were there. Uh, They were free to listen in, but he really wasn't addressing them addressing his followers. And uh, I assume that you, because you're here this morning, may be identified as a Jesus follower. And so by extension, Jesus uh, was speaking to you. At the same time, he was speaking to them uh, two millennia ago. And so far, the gist of what he said is found in verses 31 and 36 of of Luke uh, chapter 6. In verse 31, as you wish others would do to you, do so to them, the golden rule. And he followed that in verse 36 by saying, be merciful even as your father is merciful. That's sort of the context anyway of what we're going to look at this morning. If you look with me at John, uh, pardon me, Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 37 now, and it's printed in your bulletin. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good measure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord, we pray for understanding. The words are pretty clear. We pray, Lord, for depth of understanding. We pray, Lord, for grace to embrace your words. But above all, O Lord, grant us wills to do what you say. Amen. Last week, we uh, began with the question, why doesn't the world hear us? This week is part two, I guess, of, uh, of that question. Last week I posited two uh, possible answers that I thought were true. Here's the third one. They don't hear us because they see us as we interact with one another and with others. What if we took Jesus seriously. As he's calling us to do in this passage, as he was in the one last week, as he is every time he speaks, it's a call to take him seriously, to hear and do his words. I say he's calling here in this uh, In this passage, there are three major calls, I guess, to us, and some minor ones that are part of uh, those bigger calls. In the first place, Jesus here is calling you, and that's not y'all. He's calling you, and and I I don't want you to think I'm talking to us or that I'm talking to y'all, because every time I'm sitting out there and I hear somebody talking to the group, that lets me off the hook. Jesus is talking to you. He's calling you, singular, individually, personally, this morning to exemplify the golden golden rule, verses 37 and 38. Do you want others not to judge you? Don't judge them. Do you want others not to condemn you? 
Don't condemn them. It's easy. Notice quickly, though, that Jesus isn't talking about the use of discernment. He's, uh, he's not talking about the use of common sense. He's not talking against judging uh, between right and wrong, between good, better, and best. He's not talking against that. Rather, he's addressing a condemning and, and censorious spirit of, uh, that feels good by finding faults in others. A spirit that makes you feel better about yourself by seeing things in others that aren't particularly pretty. What he's talking about is being merciful in your use of your discernment and your judgment. Do you want others to forgive you? Forgive them. Do you want to receive? Give. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive, or forgive us our debtors as we forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But, but the idea there is, is, is we're already forgiving others out of relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. And we have grounds in that relationship then to forgive others because we're receiving that forgiveness. Jesus draws a word picture of the marketplace here. Uh, I go to Farmer's Market. A number of you go to Farmer's Market as well. Uh, most Saturdays and walk among, you know, the stalls and have particular places. I buy particular things and, and have made uh, friends there among the, the, some of the vendors and, and one thing or the other. And that's what he's picturing. He's picturing the marketplace uh, in first century Palestine uh, and uh, the person coming to buy grain. And they, uh, they take the grain, they, they got a big, they scoop it out, put it into a measuring container, and then they shake the container and do that. And, you know, it settles out sort of like you do when you're taking flour or something out and making a recipe and stuff, and you tap it, and then you put a little bit more and you even it off and that stuff. So he said, here, they, they put it in there, pack it down, put some more, shake it a little bit more, and then put more in it and it runs over the top. It's, it's an abundance of whatever it is you're buying there at the market. But then how do you get it home? I go to the, I go to the farmer's market and they put things in plastic sacks for me and held it and I've got the plastic sacks. They didn't have plastic sacks uh, in the first century. But you had a, a, a cloak that you wore and you had that robe and it had a, a belt around it, you know, a rope or something around it. And there was a, a, a fold over that on top of that. So you would sort of pick up your, your robe, that part that was under the belt, and then pour that in there, and off you went. You carried your goods home. You know, and that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, you want to receive, give, and, and it will be piled up and shaken down and packed down and overflowing and dumped in your lap. And, uh, and you carry it on home with you. What he's saying is, <clears throat> the, non, the non-judgmental, the non-condemning, 
the forgiving, giving person won't be judged or condemned, but forgiven and blessed. Perhaps not by the other person. They may or may not. But certainly by our Father in heaven, who is merciful and good and generous with us. I like uh, I like, like what Douglas Milne has written. He's a Bible commentator and a pastor and has written, wrote a book on Luke. We set the terms and level of our everyday relationship with God by the way we treat other people in everyday life. Just ponder that. Uh, we, we set the tone. We set the terms. We set how life is going to go with us in our relationship with God our relationship with others and the way we live it out day in and day out in our just everyday ordinary life. Milne also wrote, generous people discover that God in his providence is generous to them. If you want to experience the golden rule, then live it. Do it. Do what it says and just see what happens. So he's calling us, first of all, to exemplify the golden rule as we, as we live out our life with others, with each other in the church, with the world out there. Secondly, Jesus, in saying that, is calling you to be like him. Verses 39 through 42. He wants you to be like him rather than like the Pharisees, with whom he's been in constant conflict and and who he's talking about here. Uh, They were the judgmental, uh, the legalistic watchdogs, if you will, of their society, who were blind to their own sins and their shortcomings, which Jesus was in process of revealing, which they didn't take too kindly to, because they focused on those of others. And so he warns Jesus' followers then and now against pharisaical hypocrisy. And he does so by two cartoonish illustrations. Have you ever seen a cartoon of the blind guy leading the three other blind guys holding by? You know, how many times have we seen it? It's, it's become a cartoon a cartoon. The blind leading the blind is the teaching of the Pharisees. They were blinded by their legalism and their teaching their followers to be like them, which is what happens to followers of teachers, to to those who are taught become much like their teachers. The Palestine landscape really Appreciate it. The Palestine landscape was full of holes in the first century. Pits and holes. Because water was constantly a problem. And they were always digging wells and digging holes and pits, searching for water. It was difficult walking across the countryside for sighted people. 
Blind people were doomed. You, know, you couldn't walk that far without falling into a, an abandoned well or to a hole or a pit. The Pharisees were blind leaders who blinded their followers. The log and the speck are the Pharisees' actions. Look at verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Just close your eyes and you see the cartoon and you see how ridiculous it is. But that's so often us, is it not? I can see your sin clearly. (laughs) It's mine that I'm blind to, that I miss, that is poking out of my eye like a... And by the way, that that beam would be the center beam in this building that holds up that roof. Uh, That's the beam they're talking about, Uh, that main central beam that holds the whole house together. We're focused so hard on others so often that we don't see our own sins and our own shortcomings. And Jesus here is calling you to examine yourself, which should lead to humility, to confession, by God's grace, to change. In other words, he's calling you to hear and do what he says. Uh, we're to sit under his teaching and to take it seriously. And we're to show that we take it seriously by putting it into action. Actually doing as he taught. Doing the things he teaches us that we're to do. What if we actually did that? What if we took Jesus and his words seriously. What if we what if we actually obeyed him? We're to study Jesus' words and life as well as his death and do our homework by living it out, putting it to work in our day-to-day lives wherever we are, wherever our life takes us. And the goal and the result of your salvation is that you be conformed to Jesus rather than to the world and its teaching and its teachers. Hear Paul. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We reformed folks love those verses, or that verse and that part of that second verse. We love that, and, and, and it's well we do, and it's right and proper that we do. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, it goes on, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And it goes on, you know, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Now, Jesus is talking about, uh, Paul is writing about Jesus being conformed to his resurrection in the last day. In glory, we will be perfectly conformed to Jesus. In this life, we're to be moving towards that conformity. If that's the goal, if that's the end of our salvation, then in this life, surely, we should be working towards that conformity. As the Spirit enables and grants grace to grow more and more, into the likeness of Jesus. What then, Paul says, shall we say to these things? Indeed, what shall we say to those things? What if you and I looked more like Jesus? That's not a call to let your hair grow long and grow a beard and start wearing a robe and sandals, uh, unless you're already doing that. What it is, what it is a call to say, what if, in my everyday dealing with the people around me, I looked more like Jesus in his everyday dealing with me? And third, Jesus here is calling you to be what you are in him. The point this morning is is ultimately it's what you are, not what you do. In other words, what you are will out, it will show in your everyday life. Jesus illustrated that by, by the uh, orchard and vineyard. He said, no good trees bear fruit. If you've ever had a fruit tree, you know it's not entirely true. Uh, the best of trees. Sometimes you won't pick it, and the fruit rots. There's things that sometimes be beautiful fruit on it, but there's this misshapen pear or lemon or fig or whatever. Uh, there's undersized fruit. There's something that just won't grow. Uh, All of these things, some that just never ripen. But, by the way, that's true of the Jesus follower as well. But, the overall crop is good. And and by the same token, a bad tree can have some apparently good fruit on it. But it's not typical of the crop. So it is in the life of non-Jesus followers, if you will. Jesus' point is, 
that the fruit doesn't determine the tree. The tree determines the fruit. R.T. France is a New Testament scholar. He has written a number of things. He, he, somewhere he, he wrote about being in, living in West Africa. He was in West Africa, and he wanted to grow bananas. He wanted to plant banana trees. And so he started looking for banana trees, and he couldn't for the life of him tell the difference between a banana tree and a plantain tree. And he didn't want plantains, he wanted bananas. And he looked, and he looked, and he struggled, and, he, and for the life of him, he couldn't figure out which was which. And so he went to a botanist friend, and, and he said, look, how in the world do you tell the difference? I can see absolutely no difference between these two kinds of trees. How in the world do you tell the difference? And the guy said, go plant the trees. And if a banana's on it, it's a banana tree. If a plantain's on it, it's a plantain tree. And that's the only way you can tell. The banana didn't determine what kind of tree it is. It was a banana tree, and that determined what kind of fruit it had. And so it is with following Jesus. Darrell Bach has written... The church needs people who know God and walk with Him in such a way that the roots of their relationship to God shine forth as lights. You don't see the roots of trees, do you? Not once they're planted. Uh, how does the fruit, the root, shine forth? And the fruit hanging off the tree. The roots of the fig tree show in the crop hanging on the tree. You know that the roots are down and are good. So it is. Fruitfulness, he says, makes that clear. What you are determines what you do. And if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation. And that must show. It will because it must. It must show. And Jesus here is calling you to show. To show it in your everyday life with the people around you. If you don't know if you're in Jesus or not. Or if you know that you're not in Jesus. He's calling you to in all of this. He's calling you to come to him. He's calling you to himself. He's calling you to walk, enter into that walk with him. Don't want to beat it to death, but you need to respond. And I can only share with you uh, how I responded years ago when I realized that call. 
And all I knew to do was pray the line of the hymn, that, probably the only hymn I knew, just as I am, without one be, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. There are some tracks on the table out there by the window in the, in the foyer. It says more about this. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, just, just holler at me and let me know. Let me finish with this. R.T. France again, the guy with the banana trees. Discipleship, or we'd say Jesus following, is a process of growing into the family likeness, not merely by adopting a new set of behavioral rules, but also by absorbing God's own values and attitudes. Above all, an outgoing, uncalculating love that puts the needs and interests of others before our own. A community that lives by such principles will stand out against human self-centeredness as an alternative society, incomprehensible perhaps, but undeniably attractive. What if we were that community? What if we took Jesus seriously? Let's pray.